welcome back to the victorious this belief land is your land we i'm joined uh, in the host here by john colosimo as we just watched an absolute butt romping of the washington professional football team um we can call them the the redskins for tonight because all seven of our listeners get mad when i call them the uh dc professional football team um it's <laughs> just like it's, it's yeah it's it's more of an inside joke amongst DC folks here as a way of thumbing our nose at the worst owner in sports. It's far less of a politically correct anything, but um, yeah, I refuse to give Dan Snyder the satisfaction. So as soon as he dug his heels in, I was like, no, we're going to stick with this name no matter what the history's here on my side. I was just like, well, you want this. So I want this to change now just out of, uh, just out of spite. Um, he but, deserves it. Yeah, he does. Worst <laughs> owner in sports. Um, we're doing pretty good over here. Really, really fun game for the most part. Uh, highs, good notes, good things to see. Really, really interesting movement and position battles up and down this roster. Not a lot of downs, but we'll get to all of that in a minute. Um, felt good to have football back on TV. I, I don't know about you, but just like kind of kicking back on the couch, having uh, early games on that gave you a little bit of a taste that, that wet the whistle before you got going, and then the – Browns kicking off at 730 just felt awesome, even if it is basically fake football. No, hell yeah, man. Actually, you know, I was fully anticipating this being marginally better than the Hall of Fame game, which is always trash. <laughs> and I was super surprised at just how entertaining the day was. So, you know, uh, I, I thought I was going to be tuning out. I mean, and shit, we were on our third quarterback by uh, the end of the first quarter uh, in the Browns game. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this first week way more than I anticipated. Yeah, and I like the the entertainment value of the game before the Browns game. I don't know about you, but NFL Network was Giants-Jets. And the, the entertainment value of just that, like, 25 minutes of that game totally got me in the mood for football because the very first thing I see as I turn the TV on is a, a camera panning the sideline and Adam Gase, like, hitting the smelling salts before – or at least I think they were smelling salts, maybe bath salts before the, the game starts. And I was just like, football season is back. Let's go. Oh, yeah. And, the, you know, you just got a little sneak peek of the googly eyes there, too. It's just <laughs> like, well, maybe he just, like, left the smelling salts under his nose for that whole conference I, or something. Yeah, I wonder if it was, I wonder if it was just a tribute to the, the comp, conference uh, press conference crazy eyes where he was just like, I'm going to give the fans what they want. I'm going to give the people what they need. <laughs> Pretty great. And – Sam Donald just comes out of the gate blazing, you know, uh, pistols at his side, uh, throwing darts, cuts through the Giants defense like it's nothing, like a hot knife through butter after Jabril Peppers almost snags a pick six on the second throw of the game. And then the Giants come marching out of the field and show us exactly why Pat Shermer should be out of football. Just the worst offensive execution ever and in his own defense like they had a much better rest of the game Daniel Jones came in and looked like an actual NFL quarterback albeit you know against terrible second third stringers from the Jets but it is what it is it was it was entertainment and it was exactly the the right appetizer before we got to the Browns game yeah and there's a balance there you know between how to handle uh, a rookie quarterback we saw this with Sam Darnold quite a bit where they gave him a lot of one read looks, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what you saw from Daniel Jones. So I, I don't want to take anything away from him. I, I'm sure guys are going to get a little overexcited because he's completing balls and looking decisive, but you know, knowing where you're going to go because you know, you're it's schemed that way and hitting your first read like that. It's not 
exactly what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a decisive quarterback. And yeah. I'm still not entirely convinced that his touchdown throw was actually a good throw. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that cornerback, like, I don't know what he was thinking, having yeah. his eyes still. He's in the corner of the damn end zone. Like, yeah. you have no business looking at the receiver at that point. Yeah. Is you know, it wasn't like he was at a dead Side sprint and friend. it was – yeah. Right. I mean, at that point, you should be turned around because you can jump and stop anything that's going, you yeah, know, in that direction. So, but I'm sure people will go nuts. But they need to them. take a they need to take a, a page out of the Ohio State defensive back how to cover wide receivers without ever looking at the ball playbook. Um, <laughs> try yeah. and force them to the sideline. Sure. Also, it is going to be wild how different the Jets Browns game is early in the season this year compared to where it was early in last season, watching the growth of Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold and seeing it on display tonight, just seeing what they turned into late in the season last year and seeing them carry that swag forward with a better cast of offensive talent is going to make a really, really that Monday night football game is going to be uh, a, a throwdown. It's going to be really fun. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, Sam's been having a very good uh, preseason by all accounts. Mm -hmm. uh, and Baker, just between, you know, the reports that I've seen out of camp this last week, you know, to 10 days, mm -hmm. um, you know, he has just been razor sharp. And I, he was really on point at that scrimmage. And uh, he was even more on point the practices afterward. And, and he was uh, pretty damn sharp tonight, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I can't wait to talk about it. Real quick before we talk about the game, let's get the dirty laundry out of the way. I know most of our listeners are, are sick of hearing about it, but I just want to rehash the the end of the Duke Johnson saga. The Browns today traded Duke Johnson to the Texans for a conditional fourth-round pick that can become a third-round pick if Duke Johnson plays in 10 games. You hate to see that kind of conditional language for running back, which is a, a position that tends to be a little bit more injury fraught and he'll have a bigger role with Texas than he ever had with Cleveland. So there'll be a lot more opportunity for him to get banged up. But regardless, even if it's a fourth round pick for a guy that was already on the way out, that had had it with ownership that had all the bad blood that he and John Dorsey had at this point, uh, that's a good return. I don't think that most of us on this podcast or out in the social media world expected the return for Duke Johnson to be even a fourth rounder. And, and for that to turn into a third rounder is a great value. I can separate how badly I would have preferred to have kept Duke Johnson on the team from the value that came back from it. Um, and, and I think that a lot of other people can too. I'm disappointed to see him leave. I'm disappointed that it got to this point in the first place. I'm not ultra incident or ultra interested in playing the blame game as to whether the Browns did him wrong and he had any right to want out versus uh, taking Duke's side and saying, you know, the, the, the team continues to not give him the ball. The team continues to bring in other backs in front of him without giving him an authentic chance. Because I know that there's a lot of this on both sides. I also know that Duke Johnson has been very interested in the past in being more of a wide receiver than a running back, more of a modern NFL running back than a true bell cow. So I think that with all of the people involved in this and all of the feelings that it's probably for the best for all parties, but it was sad for me to see him go. And anytime you see a reliable player, which Duke Johnson has been, he's been, he's played in every game since he's been on the team. He's produced in the role that he's been in. Uh, when you see that person leave, you, you bring in an unknown and people like to project what uh, Hilliard will look like in that role. And we've seen flashes that, sh that, that 
he can handle the pass protection, that he can handle catching out of the backfield, that he can run between the tackles, that he can fill that role. But until we really see it over the long term in multiple games against difficult opponents, you really don't know. No, absolutely. And you know what? I'm going to give John Dorsey uh, a ton of credit here because uh, in reality, you're right. Uh, I thought his ceiling, especially in this scenario where everybody in the world knew that he was on his way out, he's a running back, he's getting paid good money. Uh, All those things factor into very low value. And I think that's why we didn't see him get traded earlier than this. So for John Dorsey to come in and, and part of this, you know, and I don't want to like take away as I'm giving him a compliment, but part of this is finding your Huckleberry, you know, yeah. somewhere in, in the league. Uh, you got to find somebody who's willing to do that. And he was yeah. able to do that a fourth round pick for a running back, uh, which has a fantastic shot. You know, as you mentioned, he's never missed a game. Mm-hmm. Um, he, um, you know, to, to get that, to have a good shot at getting a third round pick for, Duke Johnson in this scenario is a big, big win. That is way more value than I would have ever expected. So kudos to John Dorsey for being able to make some lemonade there. I know that, like you said, we've got some unknowns when it comes to Hilliard, but I think it's very reasonable to expect we get 85% of Duke Johnson in the role that we would expect him to play on this team out of Hilliard. I mean, that's, that's how I feel like seeing him, how he's done. I know he had an up and down game today, which we'll talk about later, but um, you know, I think he gives you 85% of Duke Johnson and you know, when you're going to save two plus million on the cap here, um, I'm sad to see Duke Johnson go, but I was resigned to the fact that it was going to happen. Me too. So in this scenario, that's where I say great job, Jordan Dorsey um, in getting the value that he did. Yeah. I got some texts from NFL fans of other teams saying, are you surprised about this? Are you disappointed? And I wasn't surprised for a minute. I think that the writing was on the wall from the beginning of camp from the way it played out. I do believe that Mike hits on a crucial point of the Duke Johnson saga in that teams have these conversations with other teams all the time about players who are not part of your critical core uh, talent. And that's not an insult to Duke Johnson. He was always going to be a change of pace running back a third down back and a back that you could rotate out of the field into four wide and five wide sets for, for special kind of plays. He was a guy that has enormous value as we see with players like Duke, like James white, um, like Travars cadet when he was down in uh, new Orleans, even like Alvin Kamara, the first year as he was coming out before he became the bell cow behind Mark Ingram. And the 49ers guy, McKinnon. Yeah, we, even when he was with uh, the Vikings before he went over, there's enormous value for those kind of guys but you can find those players elsewhere. And I think that with the added bonus of Kareem Hunt kind of coming back after eight games, you really only have to make do with another player for eight games. And at that point, it doesn't really matter. The only two guys that are going to get the ball late in the season in the last eight games, provided that Nick Chubb stays healthy, is Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Because there's no way you're wasting more than four or five snaps a game on anyone outside of those two when you have two of the top, 10 running backs, maybe in all of football, but definitely in the American League. So it is what it is. We've moved on. Uh, it's not something that I'm going to spill a whole ton of ink over going forward. I wish him the best with the Texans. I thought that he was a great teammate up until the end. Um, you know, he, uh, he showed up to camp. He didn't hold out. It wasn't a big thing. And then I think the team and his agent both kind of came to an agreement that they were going to let him rest on a uh, minor hamstring injury until they could find a partner for him. And luckily they did. And it worked out all right for everyone. So, so we moved on. 
Um, and we saw his immediate replacement play tonight. We're going to get to that. So the Browns game kicked off tonight, 7.30 at Cleveland Brown Stadium. Cleveland Brown Stadium was rocking. You heard the oh, – yeah. very clearly hear the here we go Brownies chants. You could clearly see dudes wilding out in the dog pound on the sides. Cleveland fans are already at a fever pitch for the season. And the first game did not disappoint. And I think that we saw a little bit of what is going to be the Browns' identity this year. I could be completely wrong. They could completely turn it around in week one. But I think this team is going to throw the hell out of the ball. I think that when the defense is looking for Baker to throw and for the Browns to run these exotic three, four wide receiver sets or double tight end sets, I think that's the time that they're going to pound Nick Chubb down their throat. I think that the team is built to pass block, built to throw, built to take big chunk yardage down play and, and run with tempo. And that's what we saw at the beginning of this game when the starters came in. We saw both on offense and defense, we saw teams putting down the hammer, putting it immediately zero to 60 and not letting up. Uh, and, and, that was really, really welcome to see, and I really enjoyed it. What did you see out of the starters of, on both offense and defense? Well, right now, just because we're on the subject, I mean, let's start with Nick Chubb here. Uh, we got a, a few little tastes, not too much because we threw most of that drive, but we got a little taste of Nick Chubb having more space to work with, and yeah. it's exciting. It was uh, exciting. So we, yeah. Oh, man, I've been salivating over this idea of Nick Chubb running against, you know, six-man boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, since since we have assembled the uh, current set of wide receivers, and uh, man, it was nice to see a little bit of that in action. We got him on a run, we got him on a draw, uh, got him out space on a throw, and uh, man, uh, Nick Chubb in space is just going to be a recipe for good things uh, for this offense, even if it's a you know a little bit more minor uh, portion of the offense. Uh, but yeah, and you know, speaking of that, you know, Baker it, getting some checkdowns in to the backs. You know, it was great to see him more than willing to take these easy throws uh, that we haven't seen a ton of. Uh, you know, last year, uh, but hitting Hilliard for a couple of balls. You know, hitting Chubb, uh, and it's easy yardage. It's, it's first downs. We're getting first downs on first down. That's pretty damn fun. He- so, yeah. If it seemed like that drive was easier for Baker than it was last year in the same kind of environments, the same kind of settings, it's because it was. Because what John, what you're hitting on here and what a lot of people have talked about, what Jake Burns has talked about a lot, what the football outsiders guys have talked about it a lot, is that Baker goes to get as many yards in every play as he can. He loves to throw the ball downfield. He is not afraid. He will grip it and rip it. And it's actually kind of shocking that his completion percentage ended where it did, given the degree of difficulty on a lot of the throws that he made last year, but you can see an early emphasis in camp this year and through the orange and brown scrimmage scrimmage and wide air quotes here and through <laughs> game one, that they're trying to get him to take those easy yards when they're being offered. The defenses know what he's about now and the tendency breaker that the Browns are going to have to use in order to continue to get those chunk yardage and continue to make things easier on Baker is to utilize those running backs. They can all catch, especially when you get Kareem Hunt back and fold and they early showed that when they catch the defense with the personnel on the field to, that they can't defend that, that they're going to really take advantage of it. No, that's a great point, Josh, and just real quick. I mean, because, you know, the, part of the reason some of the uh, throws that he made last year were of the difficulty that they were um, is because he had this tendency, just like you're talking about, he's looking for as much as he can get. And there was many times he was passing up some of that easy yardage. And, uh, I mean, I can't say it any better than you did. 
the tendency changer, go ahead and, uh, and take these backs that they're not covering until they have to, and then punish them on the back end. Yeah. And, and speaking of tendencies, we saw a huge tendency of Baker's from season one and through the preseason this year to look for his uh, security blanket of Rashard Higgins. And boy, did Rashard Higgins have a great game in, in preseason game one. Not only did Baker cap off what was a tremendous drive of the ball only hitting the ground once the whole way down the field in what felt like about five seconds uh, with a 20-plus yard TD strike in, in between three defenders to Rashard Higgins. And then we got to see the red carpet rollout touchdown celebration dance. Love it. So fond of. <laughs> but then on the next uh, – it wasn't the, the, the immediate next drive, but the drive after that with Stanton in, you saw the wiggle and you saw the shake. Not only is – Rashard Higgins running the most precise, precise routes on this team and, and being exactly where he needs to be when the ball comes in. But you see that all of these quarterbacks feel very comfortable getting it to him. And you saw a little bit of the shake afterwards. What made Higgins special uh, at Colorado State wasn't necessarily his elite jump off the tape athleticism. It was that he ran precise routes and that he had good short area quickness, especially after catching the ball. He was a good yak guy. He was a good yak guy last year for this team. You saw him. Uh, absolutely get the most amount of yards out of each passing play that came to him. But the move that he put on that poor <laughs> defensive back, I immediately watching on TV just took a step back and went, ooh, ah, because it was like you felt the guy's career evaporate in front of your eyes. <laughs> That's going to be the highlight that you remember for the rest of your very, very short football career. Um, Rashard Higgins put a real nice wiggle got it all the way to the three and just couldn't extend the ball out over the goal line, which led to um, a hell of a sequence of the Browns trying to run multiple fades and trying to jam the ball up the middle with Darius Hilliard. That just absolutely came apart of the seams and looked terrible. What, what happened on those plays? I'll tell you what, like, first of all, I think we're seeing uh, a typical thing, which is that the running game needs continuity on that offensive line. I think sure. it's the hardest thing at this point in the season to be good at, um, especially when you have some new starters and we don't have the best run blocking tackles to begin with. We have the battle happening at right guard. So it's not shocking to see uh, some struggles to open up really anything in the running game, which is I think pretty much true throughout the whole game. Like, we, weren't, we weren't opening up holes and, and certainly when the, yeah. the field tightened up on us, it was starting to, you know, that's when you really kind of see that more than anywhere else. Sure. So I think it's just, a, you know, that's a little bit of a question on that, you know, and we're, we're using Hilliard in a spot where we're never going to use him. Anyway, Hilliard on his fumble ball, he is not getting that ball one single time like that this entire year, I promise <laughs> you. Unless Nick Chubb has one leg left, there's no point in this season where Hilliard is getting that ball. Sure. So. Sure. You know, I think there's a little bit of that, um, you know, and I think there's just uh, – I think it's offensive line. I think the offensive line's just got – you know, they're going to have to – that's where they're going to have to learn and get their continuity in order for us to uh, to make sure that we're getting what we want inside that 10-yard line. Sure, sure. And I just I, – I, when you're running with second-string wide receivers and second-string quarterbacks, the fade is already a, a kind of a low percentage play in the red zone to begin with. Yes, and it was just a poor throw to Callaway that he somehow managed to almost bring in off of a tipped. I thought he really did. He, I, I don't know. What did you think? Did you think he was it? I mean, it was close enough that you. It's either way. He had a hell of an effort. So yeah, I, and I don't want to. Great effort. I don't. I don't need to reward 
that kind of a throw with a touchdown. So when it, when we look back and we evaluate the game tape, I don't want that to go as a successful play because it was a it was badly designed play. It was a low trajectory, and the defensive back tipped it. He just I want to give credit where it's due that Antonio Callaway, amongst a bunch of very good catches tonight, was able to even make that a reviewable play, even even bring it to, to that close to an end line throw. That was an incredible concentration, and it was incredible. Uh, use of his body control to get his knees down. I'll make one more point on this too. All right. We, we saw uh, what this offense looked like last year during the final eight games under kitchens. All right. Um, there's an element of this too, that this is vanilla football. All right. Yeah, what the Browns absolutely. were doing at this point in the field for the entire last eight games. All right. We were creative. We were doing some very interesting things. Yeah, I don't easy, man. He was, he was dialing them up. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just think that that's, that's a good point to, to emphasize here is that the Browns were – that was some of the best uh, – the best ball that they played in the final eight games was their red zone offense. And so – It was It really was. I mean, Baker Mayfield was, you know, I think only second to Drew Brees inside the red zone. I think they had a stretch um, there where it was like 20 for 20 on red zone attempts. Not scores, but touchdowns. Like they got, right. inside, they got inside of 20 yards and they were unstoppable. And it was with creative plays. I mean, there wasn't vanilla bullshit like, oh, we line up. You know we're going to run it. You, you try and stop us. That ain't what we're going to fucking run, okay? <laughs> so I think that, you know, there's plenty of, uh, of fault to be laid at playing some vanilla preseason football just to kind of, you know, see if we can do it. Probably fair. Probably fair. But all in all, first team offense, first team offense looked very good. First team offensive line was okay. They pass blocked well. I thought that – They did. Uh, I thought that Chris Hubbard false started. I thought he went early twice on that drive, and the refs didn't catch it either time. I'll have to go back and look at it um, when they release the film to, to figure it out to see if he was just really that quick off or whether he took a, a, a early uh, false step. I, I have my thoughts on that. Uh, Brown's <laughs> first string also looked very good. Some of this is that they were playing against Case Keenum with their franchise left tackle missing. And and that was a and most of their running backs on ice. That was a really really tough draw for him. But the Browns' defensive line looked very very good. Miles Garrett looked absolutely unstoppable during his series. Larry Ogunjobi looked good. And even without Denzel Ward and without Joe Schobert behind them, I thought that the coverage was pretty good. Um, and I I thought that the coverage was good even when they moved to their second string guys. Uh, and just some some bad luck and some miscommunications kind of doomed them in the rest of the first half. But for the most part, that that first string defense was very very good and and really brought a lot of heavy pressure on Case Keenum. Yeah, let let's talk for a second about Miles Motherfucking Garrett, who we have you know we have heard throughout um, throughout camp has been unstoppable. And uh, sure, you know uh, he's playing against uh, you know. He's playing against some guys that uh, aren't exactly up to par, but there's plenty of those in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And uh, his first step was as advertised. Yeah. And he, what did he draw? Three off, uh, three holding penalties in that one drive. And if he's going to start getting the flags for holding this year, then, you know, good luck. Good that was luck the most shocking NFL. part of the defensive play was <laughs> that they actually threw flags on Miles for, for holding. Yep. And it was egregious. But there were a lot of egregious times last year where they didn't bother to throw the flags. I think that uh, some of it I, I saw on Twitter is related to LeBron James in his second and third season starting to get the foul calls as he was going towards the hoop. 
that in his first season they didn't really know what to do with him. And I'm not saying that Miles Garrett is, is a force that they've never seen in the NFL before, but I do believe that the Browns probably sent a hefty amount of tape to the league office saying, look, I know you can't catch every hold, but when you have two arms around a guy's neck and you're literally dragging him away from the quarterback, it's probably not going to be a legal play. And you know that I, you know, I did the um, article last year about where elite pass rushers kind of make their jump. So this is the year, and this is what I was expecting. And this is the point where I think uh, you're going to see Miles either make that jump and he's really going to be that elite, dominant force that, uh, you know, uh, Watt and those guys are. Um, and I just think that we're seeing the evidence on the field that, that that's going to happen, and that's really exciting. So I think so too. I think that when the second string came in tonight, both on offense and defense, I think that there was a lot of really interesting things to take. And I think that's where the meat and potatoes of the first preseason game comes in. I think that you learned a lot about guys that are going to be filling roles and guys who later in the season will probably, as injuries pile up, as wear and tear begins to show, or as they get a little bit more experience, will all start to see more scrimmage snaps for this team. That They'll fill more crucial roles. And that's what I was looking for more than anything else, because obviously the, the starters were in and out very quickly and it was all very vanilla, but we saw guys like Darius Hilliard. We saw guys like Sion Takitaki. We saw um, Greedy Williams who, or, or Terrence Mitchell, depending on who wins that outside spot. We saw those guys get a lot of run and we saw Austin Corbett play and, and we got a lot of data points of what we can learn to expect from these guys when they'll roll forward. Um, one kind of sad and depressing part of that was that it seemed like the interior Browns offensive line, regardless of who was playing in there once the starters came out, was really, really bad. I think that Kyle Kalis was, uh, had, a, had a rough up and down, and then he quickly exited the game with concussion. I saw Austin Corbett just get bum-rushed a couple times, um, guys just jumping past him because he, you know, he's looking in the wrong place or he's, he's not sure what his responsibilities are. Um, but then you saw really, really good stuff from um, – guys like uh, Mac Wilson and from Sion Takitaki said there was good and bad from that second string. But what we, what we do know is an overwhelming positive is that these guys have tape that these guys will go through film study tomorrow morning and they're going to see a lot of stuff that they did right and that they did wrong. And it'll be really nice for them to get that kind of introspection from the coaches. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it was very encouraging mm-hmm. that we saw, you know, this is the first preseason game. So, and we have some legitimate depth battles. Like we're, we're trying to run a five DB base uh, and there's a, a, a little bit of a throwing noodles against the wall to see what sticks in terms of who's going to get that fifty B spot, yeah. um, how we're going to apply these guys. So I think overall defensively, we saw a lot of positives, you know, we, and we know we're going to struggle uh, at that right guard spot. I'm not sure what to say about that. I, I want to see more, but at the same time, it's not just this game. It's been the whole of camp and, you know, yeah, it's been an ongoing thing. So, I, you know, there's a big spotlight on that and I'm hoping to see better play as we go on, but a lot of positives. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the next week of joint practices in which they are not playing against each other, in which they'll have new players and new schemes and both teams trying to execute. I think we're going to learn a lot more from that than you will from one preseason game. I think that some of the guys that really stood out in this game in the second guys, I think that Lawrence, uh, Navarro Lawrence, who Mac Robinson raved about um, the play at camp 
really had a big game today. I thought he created a lot of pressure. Helped he did. Attack. He anchored well. I think that he's going to be a really nice rotation player uh, on the inside of that line. He looked a lot better than some of the guys who were around last year. Guys like Trevon Coley, guys like um, Price, who who kind of provided nothing last year. I thought that for the fumble and the blown pass coverage from Darius Hilliard, I thought that the pass catching and the runs were really, really nice and that he showed good depth. And I thought that – and this is the most surprising part of the night. I think that we finally had our first Chad Thomas sighting. <laughs> I must have missed that. Sorry. <laughs> recap for me. <laughs> so so the recap is that uh, when I looked at a player's number, because I wasn't familiar with him and he was playing very well, I uh, almost fell out of my chair when I realized it was Chad Thomas. He, um, he still has a lot of technique issues to clean up, but he had a really good first step. He was disruptive today. He didn't – uh, sacrifice containing the edge in order to get that pressure, which was kind of an all or nothing thing for him at Miami. He could, he was a very good run defender, but when he was trying to create pressure while also maintaining that run defense, a lot of times he struggled, but um, it looked like he made improvements and it looked like he had a pulse. He was playing hard. And that a lot of times has been the knock on him was that he um, doesn't always give 110%. Um, Probably the highlight of all these second stringers, though, was Mac Wilson. Uh, Mac Wilson caught a lot of flack after he was drafted. He fell all the way to the fifth round. There were concerns about his athleticism. And you've heard guys in the building re- repeatedly ad nauseum talk about his fluid athleticism. And fluid athleticism is something that you'll hear. It's a, it's a trope like uh, a scrappy player in baseball or a really <laughs> smart quarterback um these are tropes that they use to help kind of describe guys who aren't prototypical professional athletes um and if you look at his some of his testing that's what you're kind of forced to conclude with him however he was a very productive player especially against the pass at alabama he wasn't always um good at shedding blocks or, or you know uh sticking guys on the run but he was always good in coverage and you really really have seen that stick out over the last two weeks both in brown's camp and scrimmage and now in preseason game one, it looks very, very nice moving sideline to sideline and his instincts at the position are fantastic. Yeah. You know, I'll, t- I'll say this. I was against that pick. I wasn't a big fan of him uh, in my pre-draft uh, articles and, and things like that. I'm a Cleveland fan. Uh, he was far from my favorite linebacker because he, <laughs> he definitely posted some pretty awful athleticism numbers. He, you know, while he was good in coverage, I would, I would contest you a little bit on whether or not he was ever productive because he really didn't have any stats to go with it, but he, he, he yeah. was a, he was a solid coverage guy. Like, so he didn't have, he didn't have the athleticism on paper. He didn't have the production on paper. He was with a really good team. So, you know, and obviously that's Nick Saban there coaching him, um, you know, so I didn't think there was a ton to go on when it came to him, but Having said that, linebacker is one of those uh, spots where I think that, uh, you know, in terms of the NFL, where everybody's world-class athletes, that's one of the only spots where I see guys that don't post these insane numbers end up sticking. You know, um, sure. He, uh, Leonard actually is a great example of that. That's the, that's the comp that you see a lot of people make for him is Darius Leonard, that he's a, yeah. a smaller version of Darius Leonard. And that. If you can get that kind of guy in the fifth round, if you can get him up to speed and rotate him in, like that's a very, very useful position player. Yeah, uh, and please that, be wrong. I would love to be wrong sure. because, man, just he's been 
phenomenal these last few weeks. Yeah, I am not too proud to admit when I'm wrong about a, a player that the Browns draft. <laughs> I was wrong about Baker Mayfield. There were, two, there were multiple guys in the draft that I thought uh, were, were safer picks and had higher upside, and I was clearly wrong about that. And I'll be the first to admit it. I will be the first to admit that I was not super into the Mac Wilson pick. I feel like Alabama – especially Alabama linebackers come into the league where they are already maxed out. They don't tend to grow. And when guys are coming in younger and have higher ceilings, there's a reason why um, that is a popular opinion. But Mac Wilson has looked fantastic in camp and credit where credit's due. He's, he's been excellent. And I think that he is kind of the perfect will linebacker. If you're going to have Sion Taki Taki as a Mike, because Sion Taki Taki is every bit of the kind of linebacking profile that Wilson is not, that he is that kind of uh, <laughs> sideline to sideline maniac, that bull in a China shop, and that guy who's just going to crush uh, run blocks at the point of attack and blow plays up and, and, and allow uh, everyone else to come, come in and fill behind him. So I think the two of them play well together. I like that they continue to play them in a unit um, rather than uh, rotating them up with the starters as much. Although in this game with Joe Schobert, whose wife was in labor, um, shout out to Joe Schobert. Hope everything goes well. Um, Absolutely. was the first guy to move up. So either way, it was great to see. Um, Greedy Williams had an up and down game. He uh, drew the start again, big air quotes. They rotated a lot of guys in, uh, in place of Denzel Ward on the outside. And he was uh, at least partially responsible. I don't know who takes the brunt of the blame, but for the blown uh, pass coverage for Case Keenum, Case Keenum's, Touchdown throw, um, it, something in the handoff between him and Red Wine went crazy. You had two rookies there. It was their first game action for the Browns, and it led to a wide receiver wide open in the end zone. Um, he'll get better because of it, and it was really, really nice to see him come up with a late game pick, which was kind of a gift. It was thrown directly to him. Yeah. Um, but it was good to see as a confidence builder, he'll be able to take that away and say, look, I can play on the field with these guys. Yeah, I'd like to see that play uh, from the end zone cam, and just, you know, when I get to take a look at this, I'll be able to say something next time we're on. But it's hard for me to imagine it really being a red wine thing. Mm -hmm. It was such a weird play where you, you had a nickelback right there that was coming up for anything that he would need to stay shallow for. Yeah. Uh, it's hard for me to understand a coverage where he would have let the guy fly on the sideline like that. Yeah. No big deal. It's a, you know, it's a learning opportunity for him. Yeah. Um, and like you said, nice learning experience. And then he gets the, you know, confidence builder on the back end. And he's at a great camp. So, you know, I'm not too worried about it as long as, you know, when they're in the film room that whoever it was uh, owns up to it, takes it up, and that doesn't make the same mistake twice. Sure, sure. I'm actually really curious to see how that second cornerback spot fleshes out. I think that there's still a non-zero chance that either TJ Carey or Terrence Mitchell can still win that outside cornerback job. I think that the Browns would prefer it be greedy just because of the kind of athlete he is. But – um, it's moments like that today that show you what can possibly happen. There will be rookie, rookie bumps and bruises. And if you can rotate all these guys in, if you can bring them in and give them snaps and bring them along slowly, you might have a better end product. I don't know. I don't think Greedy is the kind of guy who you have to worry about confidence with. So we'll see yeah, how it plays out. Uh, the game itself from that point forward, um, third and fourth string guys, they, they got in the game pretty quickly. Like you said, the – third string quarterback was in before the first quarter was over. So we knew we were in for some sloppy play, but for the most part, the Browns offense was still pretty effective. They got a pick six from Mac Wilson for one score. And they got a touchdown return um, from uh, Damian Shihai Giuseppe 
Um, so that counted for uh, that accounted for 14 of the Browns 30 points, but that still leaves you, you know, with a healthy, um, you know, a healthy offense moving the ball up and down the field, especially when you consider that they uh, blew two chances of score inside of the five yard line. So the Browns were moving the ball and it was, it didn't really matter who was in there. Uh, Even Drew Stanton had a couple good throws, but for the most part, the really surprising, at least to me, uh, depth, quarterback play was from Garrett Gilbert. I really didn't expect much out of this kid. I watched a lot of him at Texas and he was awful there. He was not <laughs> a guy that I ever expected to see in the league, but he really kind of lit it up in the AAF. He put on some good tape out there, especially with uh, Ish Hyman, his, his uh, wide receiver buddy from there. And that carried through, like clearly the confidence that some of these guys got playing uh, in that league has carried forward to the NFL. And he, for the most part, played entertaining football. He made some good throws. The offense kept moving, albeit against third and fourth stringers, and it made the game watchable. Yeah, I think there were some rough stretches for each quarterback that was in there. Uh, yeah. Gilbert especially, I thought – well, no, not especially. He started, he started uh, really slowly. Yeah, it was, it was, he did. It was awful out of the game. I actually have something in my notes that says, I can't believe I have to watch another three quarters of this. And that was how I thought it was going <laughs> to go for the rest of that game. That we just oh, even when up. Drew first got in, you know, yeah. I, I tweeted – you know, oh, this is this is what that was like. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, you're right. They did each recover, I think, and at least make a few nice throws each. Um, Gilbert definitely, you know, he, I think he got probably more snaps than any other quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have to check that, but uh, I, I, I think he good. did settle down and uh, and do some nice things, uh, courtesy, you know, with some help from our boy Richard Higgins. So, uh, but, but yeah, it was, it was pretty nice. So yeah. it was not nearly as bad as I thought, say after the first three throws from Drew Stanton. I, I think two things probably contributed to the back of quarterbacks looking at least entertainingly good. And that is they played with NFL wide receivers through the entire game. Even the, you know, Antonio Callaway had a lot of snaps. Shard Higgins had a lot of snaps. And even the guys behind them, Jalen Strong and Derek Willies, are going to be tough guys to keep off this roster. They've, they're playing like NFL wide receivers in camp and in these preseason games. And so these guys were getting open. Even some of the throws that they missed, they were missing open receivers. These guys were creating separation. So that's a good problem to have. And I thought that it was really interesting. Um, Brendan Leister was talking about this on Twitter. Um, the snaps that Higgins and Callaway were getting in this game – after they came out, after after they they after they were not running with the starters, were at positions that they don't exclusively play, and that we haven't seen them mm. play much of in camp. Higgins had a lot of snaps in the second quarter and on into the third quarter where he was in the slot, and you saw Antonio Callaway playing a lot of the Z, where he has exclusively through camp played at the X. And for those of you that aren't football junkies, um, the X is a position that OBJ is going to play during the season, and they have rotated Callaway in as a burner to run like three or four routes behind him at the X and Higgins has played almost exclusively at the Z even when OBJ has sat out for veteran for quote-unquote veterans days um, typically they rotate willies into the X so what they did was they gave guys some game reps and some time out on the field at positions uh, on the field that they don't always play and that's very valuable experience because all it takes is one injury to a wide receiver Say, for example, a Jarvis Landry has to miss a couple games. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But if it does, the Browns' best three receivers might feature Higgins moving over into the slot. We really don't know. And to have some guys like like Higgins who can play multiple positions and are your next line of defense, Willie's too, it'll be really, really useful for the Browns as far as continuity goes to see them play those, those positions. 
Yeah, that's some nice insight and a good takeaway for a game one here at the preseason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some some things that um, were really fun moments in this game. I really enjoyed seeing Dwayne Haskins play. I know he's an Ohio State honk. I think most of us did. I thought that he, interceptions aside, looked head and shoulders better than the other Washington quarterbacks. I thought that I I thought that watching. Uh, Case Keenum play at the start of the, the game and then rotate to Haskins was like the Wizard of Oz scene where everything goes from black and white to technicolor. <laughs> it was like, oh, this is the guy who has an NFL pedigree. And I'm, that's a really mean thing to say about Case Keenum. But I think that he is what he is at this point. I think that with I think that he was a tribute to the coaching staff in Minnesota when he had that brilliant year. And they knew that it was them and not Keenum. And they were willing to let him go rather than paying him good money. And he proved them right with the year they had in Denver. And he's going to prove them right in D.C. this year. I think that very quickly Haskins is going to find his way into the lineup. He throws a beautiful ball. He threw some really, really nice passes. And his wide receivers did not help him at all. No. You know, I thought uh, he had some excellent throws, especially early on. Mm-hmm. He's got to clean up the, those interception balls that he yeah. threw. was absolutely atrocious, too. Uh, you know, you know, I don't know if he thought Mac Wilson, he just assumed that Mac was going to turn the run and uh, it ended up being thrown right into Mac's <laughs> face. But, yeah. you know, it's just, and then the other one, I, I've got no, no reasonable explanation for why he would throw that one to Greedy Williams. But I agree that he clearly looked like the best quarterback that they put out there. Yeah. And he had some very nice balls and, uh, there's good reason to have some optimism there in that pick for Washington. Yeah. I'm not saying that they're related, but I'm thinking that you, you're probably going to see a rookie season. That's very similar to Peyton Manning's. If you let Haskins play the majority of this year, I think you're going to, you think he's going to throw a lot of picks. He's going to make some really dumb decisions and you're going to see flashes of brilliance. And I think that's what you expect. He's a really young kid with not a lot of experience and you're going to have to creatively game plan around him, but there's no reason that you couldn't, uh, execute some of the Joe Flacco rookie year playbook or the Matt Ryan rookie year playbook where you really rely on that running game since you have the running backs to do it and you just try and keep the game planning around him throwing to a minimum. You try and give him easier reads and you try and work off of that. The problem with that is he got drafted by the Washington Redskins and this is Jay Gruden's last rodeo. He admitted it yep. himself. if he doesn't get to the playoffs, he's not going to survive. And so they have to play the guys Hugh Jackson style that they think are most ready to, to nurse them to some wins early on in the season. And I think that those are counterproductive. I think if you want this team the most, you let Haskins play. And I think that if you want to try and eke out some early season wins, you're probably going to trot out a Colt McCoy or Case Keenum. And I, I just think that that's a sad, depressing state of affairs in, in the city. And I'm glad it's not my state of affairs. No, absolutely. I think it's the classic kind of case where uh, what's best for the team and what's best for the head coach aren't in line Mm -hmm. for this season. And that is just a recipe for bad things. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, I think that some not fun moments from this game, um, not to end on a sour note, the holding penalty in the first play, I actually got a legitimate laugh out of like, I don't know if it was a tribute to Amos Jones and the 2018 football season, but starting the year off with a stupid holding penalty on a kickoff, I was just like, we're back. Browns football is back. <laughs> uh, I thought that the Hubbard false starts that didn't get called were pretty funny. I was just like in the regular season, I'd, I'd like to hope that those 
I'd like to get, I'd like to hope that there's more consistency in those kind of calls in the regular season. I don't want to see them called on the Browns, obviously, but I thought it was funny that two what looked like egregious calls were missed. Not so funny. Um, our kicking situation. Jesus. We talked about it a little bit before we aired the show. I just, I just don't. What are what what odds are you giving me that the starting kicker is on this team right now for the Browns' 2019 season? Yeah, I was going to say 50-50. Uh, you can have the kickers that are on this roster right now, or you can have the field. Who are you going with? Yeah, I, I think it's. I think most folks, given those odds, would take the field. I think that after you watch this and after you read the quotes from the people in camp and you watch the the stats of them giving them real life game situation kicking moments and watching them biff them, you already had a bad feeling about it. And then watching uh, Greg Joseph send a easy extra point kick off of the uprights just kind of sealed it for me. They'll have a lot more of an opportunity. There will be guys cut from other teams that are probably better than either of these two guys right now. I know the Ravens backup kicker has been just absolutely murdering it. And I don't see any way that they are able to keep him on a practice squad after the kind of tape he's putting on, but they're going to have to figure this out and it's going to be nasty. I liked that the Browns, when it was a long field goal situation or a tough situation, they just didn't go with the kick. They just went forward on fourth down and then uh, the pass protection failure from Hilliard early in the game pushed them out of a, a field goal kicking situation at the end of the first half. Freddie was, was pissed. Was yeah, Freddie was. And Freddie was <laughs> throughout this game. And I think that that is, again, some of the DNA and identity of this team. Like, Freddie refuses to have a stupid, undisciplined team. And that's why you're seeing these long practices. That's why you're seeing the we're going to do this again and again in camp until we get it right. He's trying to break some of the molds that we've seen of this being a undisciplined football team. And some of that comes with being young. And some of that comes with attitude. And he was furious for half of this game. Every time they panned him on the sideline, like he was chewing his face off because of stupid stuff like that, of people not being where they're supposed to be, people not communicating, and just people not executing their assignments. Yeah, I felt like uh, after the first touchdown on the first drive, Freddie wasn't happy until Giuseppe's touchdown. (laughs) Giuseppe's touchdown probably was the most fun moment in this game. There was a lot – like the first drive was great – and that was great. And I really should have turned it off the second there wasn't a holding flag and everybody rushed from the sideline and dogpiled him, including the, uh, the other Browns wide receivers, which was incredible to see, like very emotional of seeing OBJ and Landry dogpiling this guy. If you don't know who he is, read the story. He's basically the Willie Mays Hayes. He just like camped out outside of the facility and snuck in, <laughs> pretending like he belonged there. And they were just like, yeah, okay, you can stick around. You're fast. And somehow he's worked his way to the first preseason game as the one of the Browns' primary kick returners. And he had a kick return touchdown. And the people on this team could not be happier for him. Really, really tough story. And it's great to see a guy like that get a chance. It really is a, a last chance you or a hard knocks dreamboat of a story. And it's, it's sad that more people don't know about it. Is he doing punt returns? I, I didn't see it whether or not he was because I'll say one thing I we probably said this last show I have absolutely no interest in OBJ taking punt returns like was reported yeah, yeah I have no interest in that either what I saw today was Darius Hilliard back there um or Dontrell Hilliard back there um and I think that that is probably how it'll go in the season because I think that keeps him with a role on game days even when Kareem Hunt comes back I think of him as the primary kick and punt returner and also a change of pace back to rotate in should they need him. We'll probably keep him on the roster and they like him enough to where I think that they will try to make that happen. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and, and we're looking for an edge out of this six, you know, as deep as these wide receivers are, uh, obviously returns have been a problem since what Josh Cribb days, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be a lot of temptation to uh, keep anybody who can make an impact at that spot. So mm-hmm. it's nice to see somebody making some noise, you know, the, a lot of times when you score a touchdown on a special teams play, it's a team effort. So you got to give credit to the, to the whole return team there. But yeah. I think that, any special teams returners that are making noise in this preseason are going to be making a big push to make this 53. Yeah. And all in all, a genuine positive from this game is that the special teams is much better. The special teams coverage was much better. The punting was much better. The kicking up until the last uh, flop was much better. There was a lot of positives from the special teams. And I think that that is a focus area that they'll continue to work on and they'll continue to clean up because it takes a lot of work to go from worse in the league to adequate. And they, so, <laughs> yeah. so they'll continue to work on that. Browns will also have to continue. Yeah, they'll have to continue to work on the stupid stuff, on the assignments, on the tackling. We still saw a lot of poor tackling, which at this point in the preseason is uh, endemic to the entire league. And I think that they'll have to see what they got in these fringy players. I think Ernest Johnson had some fun moments today running the ball. I think that he'll be a fun one to watch for depth on the team until Green Hump gets back. I think who's going to continue to return kicks and punts will, will, will be a battle to watch. And I think that offensive line with uh, Kalis's injury and Corbett being locked in seemingly at the backup center, who else fills out those roles will be interesting to see. And I think we'll see, we'll have a lot more clarity on that after next Friday. I agree. I mean, you know, I was 80% smiles, I think considering everything preseason game one, uh, I, I think the, the things that we expected uh, to be real, I think that they are as real as you can expect through one game in the preseason. They're so, real. I, I'm a happy dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think smiles is the right approach here. I think at this point, if you didn't watch that game and have some smiles on your face about what was going on, then you clearly weren't as excited to have football back as we are because that was some entertaining football for the most part. And we got the data we needed from, from preseason game one. No major injuries besides Kalis that we've seen. Um, I think one of the other backup uh, offensive tackles uh, got banged up, maybe Seton. Um, but for the most part, the Browns escaped without major injury to any of their critical players. And we got to see some guys play. And they played well, especially the kids. So I'm looking forward to hearing coaches talk about what they saw. I'm looking forward to this next week of joint practices with the Colts. I think that'll be a really useful uh, thought experiment about where the Browns are at as a team because the Colts – It'll be a really fun squad and probably somebody that they can expect to see if they make it to the playoffs. And I think that the Browns are headed in the right direction. I love the attitude that this team has right now. Yeah, we got a big step up in competition coming up, uh, which, you know, with practice and the game. Uh, this uh, will be very interesting to see how we look in game two versus a legitimate playoff team, somebody that we're going to have to compete against if we're talking about playing, you know, uh, January football. So we get to learn more next week. We get to learn more than I probably expected week one. So it's going to be exciting here coming up. Yeah. And, uh, and continue to, to subscribe and check in. We'll be back on Monday with a, uh, with a camp wrap up from the next couple of days where the practices, a lot of great content out there. Um, looking forward to hearing from you guys about what you want to hear from us on this show. Uh, John, as always, it was really great to have you on. We're missing Mike tonight who is down with a nasty sinus infection, but, I'm looking forward to getting the gang back together again on Monday and doing this again. Absolutely, man. Had a good time and uh, looking forward to having Mike back too.